Good, good. I love, I say this a few times, but I, I love that church services can have a different flow, different flavors, that there can be, like I said, that solemn, and there can be celebratory, there can be silly. Um, I, I like it all, because I like that God is a God of a range of emotions. He's not stuck in one pattern. Uh, and so I love that about God. I love that you can have Pastor Jake here last Sunday, who was on fire last Sunday, um, who is competing with me to talk really fast. I know some people are saying it was so good. I couldn't keep up with him. He was talking so fast. I'm like, yes, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one that talks too fast up here. Um, but I love that. And I love that God can do all, hey, that light works now. Was it not working earlier? Daniel fixed it. Way to go. Um, I'm bright now. I'm like, woo. Um, anyways, good stuff. Uh, and so I went on the heels of a little bit of what Jake was talking about. You guys remember what he was talking about? James chapter one, stewarding seed. You guys remember that? And there was a verse that he read in there, um, James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept or receive the word of God that has been planted in your hearts. And um, as he said that, you know, he kind of talked about stewarding. But he said a few things in last week's message. He said um, that we have to cast off sin so that seeds can grow. We've got to we've deal with sin first, right? Deliverance comes first. You remember him saying that? Deliverance comes first, Right? Deliverance before the growth and the fruit. And deliverance is not a one-time thing. You guys remember that? That is, we just took communion today, that receiving the forgiveness of God is not just a one-time thing. That I, When I was five years old, I received the forgiveness of God for the first time. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That never needed to happen again as far as my name being rewritten. It was written, solid, it'll never change. But as my life progressed from five years old to... 40-something, 90 years old. Um, I've lived in the goodness of God. I've, loved, I've lived under the forgiveness of God. In fact, someone texted me, I won't say who, um, this week, last week, two weeks ago, they said, Pastor, as believers, and now that we're new creations and we're under the blood, do we still need to ask for forgiveness or we're already forgiven? And what's my answer? Yes, yes right? Yes, you're already forgiven, correct. But anytime the Holy Spirit brings something to your attention, Yes, it's appropriate and right to repent and to ask for forgiveness, to do this again and again. Deliverance is not just a one-time thing. And so I was, this week, reminded, the Holy Spirit reminded me that Jake was t talking about that. Before we can steward seeds, before things can really grow, we need to make sure that we're dealing with sin. And so this morning, the title of this morning's message is The Father's Heart Towards Sin. If you're taking notes, that's the title of this message, Father's Heart Towards Sin. And um, my prayer is, that there's an, a receptiveness, right? Because sometimes we like to hide our sin. We don't like, that seems like a, why do we talk about sin all the time? Well, because the Bible talks about sin a lot. But I want to get to the Father's heart where this year being the year of family, I, this is maybe just the beginning of a whole lot more that'll happen throughout this year. Talking about the Father's heart. I want us to know the Father's heart. I want us to know who our dad is in the family. I want to know, I want us to know what our role is within the family. And one of the things that's on, on the Father's heart is, he wants to heal us. Sin causes problems. Sin causes pain. Sin causes a whole host of bad things. And the Father's heart is not to be a mean disciplinarian. His heart is, can I say it this way? Anytime he confronts us or disciplines us, it's because there's something in our life that's blocking his love. He's, this, he's the God of love, right? God is love. He's love, and anytime he sees something, it's not because he's so mad and disappointed and he hates you. It's like, no, 
do you know, I got to raise this up. There's something I can't love on you the way I want to love on you because this is here. And we've got to confront this and deal with this so that way my love can flow. And you can know who you really are. You can know who I really am. Is that making sense? So that's what we're talking about this morning, this idea of love. And, and I, if you go back, I've, I've given you my reasons why we're talking about this this morning. And a couple of Sundays, like two Sundays ago, when I was giving a message, um, during worship, we sang a song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And my wife, Jen, during worship, she said, I feel like we need to stop and just the altar's open. If anyone needs to come forward, they could. And a few people came forward. But in my spirit, I, I just felt like, I think there's more people that need to come forward. And I wasn't thinking of anyone specifically. No one's face or name came to my mind. I wasn't like calling anybody out. I was just like, I feel like the Holy Spirit's moving in the room, but some of us aren't responding. So I felt like, okay, well, it's my father's heart to make sure we talk about it again. We deal with it because I'm mad and I think you guys need to deal with your sin. No, it's because I want you to receive the fullness of God's love. I don't want to squander an opportunity. So I thank God that his mercies are new every morning. And so he wants to, not be mad at us. He wants to expose things in our lives that say, hey, let's deal with this so that you can be filled to overflowing with the love of God. So that's the reason why we're hitting there this morning. Um, this other thought came to my mind. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just for me. Maybe it's for someone else. So you get to decide if it's for you or if it's just for pastor. Um, but I was thinking about this. I do this often as a dad, right? When my children were born as infants, I loved holding that infant child. They could do nothing. They had no responsibility. Like I say all the time, all they did was poop and throw up on me and cause problems. But somehow I just loved holding this infant, right? But then they became toddlers. And they began to walk and be independent, began to speak words. And then they hit what we call them, right? The terrible twos. I don't like that term, but terrible twos, right? Mischief, getting into everything, opening every cupboard, pouring things out, wanting to know what that looked like. You know, if I can draw on a paper, I wonder if I can draw on the wall, right? Just trying everything and causing problems. But at the same time, I'll tell you, from toddler to like preschool, that's my favorite. I know I have lots of favorites, but that's my favorite. I love that age because as much as I love holding an infant, I so much rather holding a two or three-year-old and throwing them in the air. I know no one's ever seen me do that before, but I love throwing little kids in the air. I love wrestling them. I love being able to interact with them where they understand words and they talk back to me. I love that idea of toddlers where they're no longer, they're learning some responsibility. They're learning that they have to walk. They're learning that they have to get disciplined, right? When you're an infant, you don't discipline an infant. You just feed them and clean up their mess. But when they're a toddler, the very first time they took a crayon off that paper and said, I wonder what they'll do on the wall. And they did a nice artwork on the wall. Did I need to be angry at them and spank them for that? No. They're being, they're creating, their, their imaginations are going huge. If I see that, I say, oh, no, we don't do that. I correct them. That's not what we do with crayons. Crayons stay on paper. I, I discipline them. And it goes further. If they do that again, if I say, daddy says, don't ever do that again. The crayon only goes on paper. It may not go on the wall. And if they do that a second time, is my discipline different? Yes. It's not just telling them, hey, don't do that. Now there's consequences. You disobey daddy. You didn't know that was a sin before. Now you know that's disobedience. So now there's a consequence. There's a progression, right? From being an infant, no discipline. You're just being taken care of, loved on, provided for, protected, to an idea where you're growing up and you're learning things. You're, is this making sense in the spiritual realm? Yes. At some point when I became a new believer, God's grace was there just to cover everything. 
But as I began to mature, big Christianese word, right? Sanctification. We're growing. We're growing in Christ. The idea is that we've got to receive discipline and correction. None of us in our flesh want to go away from being coddled and cuddled to being disciplined. No one likes that in our own flesh. But I'm telling you, the amount of joy a toddler has in life, like an infant, every once in a while, they kind of wince at you and it's probably just gas, but I always thought it was because they saw dad's face, you know, but they probably are pushing gas and like they winced and smiled. And they smiled at me, right? But a toddler, man, I had a freak, someone look, you can Google it. A toddler laughs and smiles something ridiculous like 30,000 times a day and an adult does it like 100 times a day. Something happens as a toddler, they just love life. They're full of life. They want to explore and do things. And I feel like, can I say this? I feel like God is bringing some of us individually, but I'm saving even, I'm saying even us as Osborne, and I'll say bigger than Osborne, the church at large. There's something he, he's bringing us back to, toddlerhood. Not regression, maybe even following Christ for almost 40 years. So I'm not saying you need to be, go backwards and be immature. I'm saying, no, there's areas in our life where we need to be like a kid again. Jesus said, you can only enter the kingdom of God like a child, right? I want to walk in the kingdom like a child. And I think there's some things where God is saying he wants us to begin to explore, to try things, to be adventurous, to be full of life, but also receive correction. Be in a mode where God I know I'm gonna try some things today and I'm ready for a correction and I'm ready for your praise. I want both in my, I invite them both. I want encouragement and love and, and applause for what I did right. And I invite all the correction you have for me too. Is that making sense? So the father heart of God. Let's look at a few things. I don't know if I have time to really do it all these, but I'll give you a real quick where I'm headed. We're gonna look at Adam and Eve Genesis chapter three. Then we're gonna look at Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four. Then we're gonna look at Noah and the ark, Genesis chapter six, so three, four, six. And then Abraham, chapter 12. So if you wanna get, open your Bibles to Genesis, we'll start at three and we'll kind of work our way through. But we're gonna look at these different stories in the beginning, right? The formation of mankind and God's heart towards sin. And what does God have for, you know what, can I just say a quick prayer? Because I feel like there's several things I've prepared that some of them, I say it every Sunday, I try, I'll try better not to say it. I'm okay with not getting out of those. I want the words of life to go forth this morning. I want each of us to receive a rhema word. And so that doesn't come through all my preparation. That doesn't come through me being wise and having this great intellect. It comes by his spirit. So let's pray really quick. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. I ask for your anointing over me to be a good deliverer of your word. But God, I ask for all of us, myself included, to have ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Holy Spirit, would you come and massage my heart? Would you soften it? Would you till the ground? God, would you, where there's hardness of heart, would you break up that fallow ground? Would you turn it over so that I can receive the implanted word of God? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three, we're jumping in the beginning. God already created Adam and Eve. He already told them, don't touch that. Don't do that. If you do, it's disobedience, right? It wasn't them just exploring the Garden of Eden. He told them one thing they're not supposed to do. And of course, what's the one thing they do? Like an infant or a toddler, they're trying to explore things. 
And so Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, you see the temptation, the serpent comes in. I won't read all that. Let's just jump straight into verse 7. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 says this. It's right after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, Then their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I have that underlined in my Bible. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? So we'll stop there. Sin, right? Sin enters in. And we're going to look at three things here with Adam and Eve's story. What I see in these verses, when sin came in, so did shame. Shame. Sin caused shame. It says they were naked. They looked at themselves and said, we're naked. They never wore clothes up until now. But something happened where they said, I'm naked and I'm ashamed. That didn't happen before. So say it this way. They used to be clothed in the righteousness of God. They were clothed in holiness. They were clothed in perfect right standing with God. But when they sinned, they took off that robe of righteousness. And now they saw themselves, ah, I'm exposed. There's things here I don't want God to see. In fact, it says, if you read that, they hid themselves from each other, Adam and Eve. I'll be careful, I won't go there. Um, they were hiding themselves from each other. When we sin, it opens the door to shame. Does shame come from God? No. So if, if God the Father is the Father of love and the Father of goodness, there's an accuser of the brethren. He's the Father of shame. So when you feel shame, whose voice are you listening to? So the serpent spoke to them and tempted them and got them to sin. And now the serpent has a voice in their life. Before it was just temptation. It had no power over them. But once they obeyed, see, sin is not just disobeying God. It's obeying the devil. I know it sounds like the same thing, but there's power in that. When you obey the devil, you give him power. So now they're under the influence of shame. This voice that used to just tempt them is now loud, and that's all they hear. You are a sinner. You aren't worth anything. You are such a horrible person. How dare you? God doesn't love you because you did this. And he's pointing and accusing. You're under shame. Adam and Eve, they feel the weight of shame for the first time. God is exposing as a good father this morning. This is one of the things he wants to expose. Some of us are dealing with shame. We feel unworthy. We feel unloved. We have thoughts that God couldn't forgive me for this. We want to hide ourselves from God's presence. We want to hide these areas of our life. We don't want anyone else to know about it. Hmm. Okay, really quick. 
as we deal with this idea of shame, God is saying that he's about to promote some of you in his family. You're no longer going to be an infant. You're going to shift into that toddlerhood or to adulthood. I'll give you a really quick example. Pastor Nick's not here. He's doing something great with his family. Um, so I didn't ask permission, but I think it's fine. One of my favorite Sundays, to me, I'll say it's one of the most powerful Sundays, things that it's seared in my memory, is I remember Deacon Nick. This is not Pastor Nick. This is before he was a pastor. Deacon Nick coming up here on a communion Sunday like today. I had no idea. I thought he was just going to talk about the blood, the bread. And he stood right here and he confessed his sin to this church body. Growing up from the youth, he was in the, I was in the youth group with him. But there was something that took place that Sunday. I'm telling you, it was powerful. He was promoted in the kingdom. And can I tell you, I, he was promoted in my eyes as the pastor. He said, I sinned. I used to do this. I used to do that. And he just exposed it all. Instead of hiding it from his family, he said, this is what I've done, everybody. But I'm forgiven. I'm under the blood, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. And the family rallied. There was something powerful in the spirit realm that took place. He's a pastor today, I'm telling you, in direct relationship to him exposing that he's no longer under shame. He said, I used to do that. That's not who I am anymore. He made a public declaration of confessing and revealing. Can I say this? God can't heal what you won't reveal. You're under shame because you won't reveal it. You're hiding things from God. You're hiding things from your family. And God says, I can't heal you. What you won't reveal, he won't heal. But today, God is saying he's going to heal you. If you're willing to deal with this, if you're willing to expose where the enemy has been speaking shame of your life, and you're saying, I don't want to listen to that voice anymore. I want to be healed. What you will reveal, he will heal today. So there's this shame that's going on. Read the next couple of verses. Now in verse 11. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Verse 12 now. Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, it's the serpent that deceived me and ate. So the first one is shame. The next one is blame. When you disobey God or obey the devil, you are going to be quick to blame others. There is such a thing as a victim mentality. It's not my fault. When you are under the influence of sin, it comes natural to blame. It becomes logical. It becomes the normal way to think is it's not my fault. Adam, I mean, this guy was gutsy. First, he throws his wife under the bus. But worse than that, what did he say? It's the woman you gave me, God. It's your fault. I mean, I'm not to blame for this sin. It's not my fault. It's your fault, God. I mean, he's got some, can I say cojones? He's like, I don't know. He's got some big ones, right? (laughs) 
I just, I mean, if I went, if I confronted one of my kids that they disobeyed me and they came, it's not my fault, dad, it's your fault. I'd be like, boy, like, I don't know as much grace as God did. But using my kids' example, they know. The moment dad walks into their bedroom and says, we need to talk about whatever's going on in the house right now, I'm not throwing my kids under the bus. I'm letting you know they're under the influence of sin like all of us. The first they came out, well, he hit me first. Well, she did that first. It's, they want to, as soon as I'm confronting them, that's what comes out of their mouth. But dad, 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 don't get mad at me. They did this. Get mad at them. It comes natural. Can I tell you, it's not just kids. Some of you are blaming your boss that your, that your job sucks. It's not your boss's fault. Some of you blame the president that you have less money in your bank account. And I don't want to open up politics, but you're blaming somebody. The moment you blame somebody, you're walking in the footsteps of Adam, who was walking in the footsteps of the devil. You've heard me say complaining is devil worship. I'll tell you, blaming is devil worship. It's walking in the pattern of the devil. The moment you blame anybody else, you are under the influence of the enemy. It, to me, it should be a telltale sign that you have sin in your life. The moment one of my kids say, but dad, it was like, oh, then that means there's something you did wrong. <laughs> if instead, Adam, I've said this before, instead of Adam would have said, God, God, I need you, where are you? Instead of hiding from the presence of God, I don't know, I'm just telling you, I've said this before. I'm not a theologian, I don't know what really happened, but this, I'm just, this is my thinking, this is Ryan, this is not actual real commentary, this is just Ryan not being the pastor, Ryan, just individual Ryan. I think that had Adam, after he took a bite, would have said, oh my goodness, God, God, where are you? He would ask the question, where are you? I need you. Come, God, I need to tell you something. I messed up. And it's 100% my fault. Eve was right here and I didn't protect her. The devil was talking to her and I didn't protect her. I mean, it's all my fault. Please don't, don't punish Eve. I'm just telling you, I don't know. This is my thoughts. I think we'd all still be in the Garden of Eden. But there's something about that blame. We're so quick to blame. I don't care if the other person is 99% wrong, if you've got one little smidgen percent that's wrong, ask my kids. I'm going to attack that 1%. I tell them, but dad, but dad. And I say, stop, 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 stop. I say, I, this is what I always say. You ask my kids. I have no problem believing you that your sibling is wrong. And I'm going to go talk to them about what they did wrong. But right now, we're not talking about your sibling. We're talking about you. I want you to tell me not the story. I don't want to hear the whole story. I want you to start thinking about what did you do that was wrong? You start thinking, get your eyes off of them. Get your eyes on yourself. What did you do wrong? Where can you own something? Ask my kids. That's how I talk to my kids. Can I say, that's how I'm going to talk to my kids? I have a lot to grow in being a father of a church. But I'm telling you, I have no fear to talk to my kids that way but I've had a fear of man that God is stripping off that the moment you come for counseling, I'm just gonna speak the truth. I wanna hear your problems. I wanna be a good listener and not just fix all your problems. But I will be someone that's gonna say, yeah, but I need to talk about where you're wrong. We need to deal with you first. And once you are right with God, okay, now we can talk about how to deal with this other situation. 
but you've got to get right with God first. Because if you're not right with God, talking about all this is going to do us no good. God is saying that this morning. He's calling out some of you this morning that you've been blaming other people. And God is saying, today is the day you stop the blame game. Stop the blame game. It's not your boss. It's not the president. It's not the politics. It's not that bully at school. It's not this family member that it's all their fault, what they did wrong, and you are, you're holding bitterness, but it's all because of what they did. God's saying today, stop the blame game. The Father's heart, again, is to make you whole, is to heal you. He cares about you. He cares about the situation, yes, but before he deals with that, right, deliverance comes first. Blame game. Keep going. So there's first shame, then blame. Where do we end? Verse 12. Let's skip a little bit. Let's go to verse 20. And you're like, wait, verse 20. We didn't finish it, but it's actually still connected. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam, hold on, let me see how far I'm going, to 13, okay. No, no, to 24, okay. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We're not gonna pack everything here, but here's the third word. First, it was shame, blame, fame. What do you mean by fame? Well, because it rhymes, right? Fame, but let me explain to you. Fame means there's a distinction. Something is better than someone else. The life of the rich and famous, right? They're the ones that have the money and the wealth and all the fame. They're separate than me, just middle class. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. This is Adam named Eve right here, verse 20, after the fall of man, after sin. I don't know if this is all theologically correct, but this came to my mind. Adam never had a separate name for Eve until after sin. What did he say the moment he saw her? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is part of me. We are one. We are together. But after sin, he said, oh, well, you're that and I'm this. There was separation, distinction, isolation. Sin brings isolation. Sin brings distinction between people. I can judge you. I'm better than you or you're better than me. Sin brings all that. Before there was sin, there was no distinction. It was oneness. Go a step further. Now God said, I have to take them out of the Garden of Eden because we used to be one. But now he's tasted of evil. And we cannot be one, so we have to distinct ourselves. Heaven and earth have to be separated. Read Revelation. It says, when all this is done away with, right, it says that a new Jerusalem, new heaven is going to come on earth and there'll be one again. But because of sin, distinction or fame, whatever word you want to call there, there was division. Sin causes division. It causes pride. I'm better than you. And God is saying this morning, he wants to heal you of your pride. He wants to heal you of where you're not together as one. Even as I said that, there was a prophetic word, I don't know, eight, nine years ago over this church that we would be as one. 
That is the Lord's desire for Osmond River Church. It's also Jesus' desire. It's actually the only recorded prayer we have of Jesus praying for you in the Bible that's recorded. He says, the Last Supper, before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says he was praying for those who will one day would believe. And what was his prayer? That they would be one, just as you and me, Father, are one. God is saying this morning, he wants you to be one with him and one with the family of God. Sin is what causes distinction. And God is saying, I want to address sin because I'm mad at you, because I don't like you. No, it's because I want to bring health because I love you so much. I want you to enjoy the oneness of God, the oneness of family, that no more distinction. There's no other male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, right? There's this oneness that God wants to bring. And I'm telling you, all of us have dealt with the lie from the enemy that that person is better than me or that person is worth less than me. I've had those thoughts. I guarantee you everyone in this room has had that thought before. I've had people say, well, pastor, you're the pastor. So, I mean, like, you don't have problems in life. I'm like, geez, okay, that's what you think. And I've had other people say, why are you the pastor? I can do it, but like in there, I've had them talk to me where it's like, do you know what you're doing? And it's degrading. I'm like, wow, okay. I've had both. You've had both. At school, at work, you've had people that are treat you like you're worth it. I can remember, I won't say names, a grade school teacher. I want to be nothing around that teacher. Because every time I was around that teacher, I felt like I was a nobody. I felt, in fact, I won't even say he or she. One time they, they told me, are you stupid? They looked in my eyes and yelled in front of the whole class. I was like, I can't handle that. I can't handle people telling me that I'm a nobody. I don't want to. God is saying today he wants to heal you from the wounds of that sin. It's not just you judging others. You've been under the judgment of others. And God is saying today he wants to heal you. He wants to heal sin today. He wants to expose it to bring healing. So really quick, I got to do this quick. We're going to look at Cain and Abel and Noah really quick. So we looked at Adam and Eve, shame, blame, fame. Adam and Eve, now Cain and Abel. Chapter four, no, where are we at? Yeah, chapter four, I'm right. Oh, let's just read more Bible. Uh, Verses one through eight, let's just read it. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. You know what that means, right? And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked to this. Oh, we'll stop there. We'll just stop there. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel. He ends up murdering his brother, right? But I want to talk about this, this first passage here. I remember as a kid, I was always confused. Like, why did God pick one brother to like show favor to and the other brother, they both brought an offering to God. Like, and I remember hearing a pastor say, like, oh, that makes sense. It says over the process of time, so it wasn't the very first time, it was this was going on for a while, a pattern was being had where Cain was bringing an offering. Abel brought the first fruits, 
the firstborn. So in other words, it could be said that Cain went through all his produce and saw his pumpkins and his gourds and all the stuff he was growing. He's like, oh, that one's kind of moldy and that one's, eh, I don't want to eat that one. Okay, let's give that one to God, you know. And Abel found the firstborn and the best and said, God, I'm bringing you the firsts, first fruits. So it wasn't that they were comparable offerings. God is saying, I don't want your leftovers. I don't want the, the wasted stuff. I want your heart. It's a heart level issue. And so I love this. In this story, comparing to the very first sin, Adam and Eve, God says, hey, Adam and Eve, don't eat that. That's all he says. They decide to eat it. Then God comes back and says, all right, where are you? Did you eat from this? He's confronting them. This time, there's an offering being made over the process of time, and God warns Cain. I love this about sin. The father's heart towards sin, he wants to warn you. He doesn't want you just to fall into sin and have no warning whatsoever. This is a progression of God throughout Genesis. To me, these are the, the core. This is how life begins. This is how humanity begins. And God is saying, you know what? I've got to step in and warn my people. I can't just tell them, don't do this and leave them to themselves. I've got to be a good father. I've got to be involved. Do you know that the father's heart is there to warn you? Scripture says there's no temptation that isn't common to man. I know I'm not the only one in this room that I've had a thought God, why is it so much harder for me than everybody else? I think that I'm more unique in my temptations. Scripture makes it clear. Actually, no, there's no temptation that everyone. Jesus was tempted in all ways. But I love Scripture. It says that if you're following the Holy Spirit, it says that he will always make a way out for you. That the Holy Spirit, I love this, it says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. So the enemy brings shame and condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts you. I've heard it said like this before too. The very first time you get tempted to do something, the Holy Spirit is right there to say, hey, hey, Ryan, don't do that. Hey, hey, Ryan, you probably shouldn't touch that. Hey, Ryan, you probably should go somewhere else, right? He's tempting. I mean, the Holy Spirit is there to help me. But after I disobey the Holy Spirit's warnings, and I go ahead and do it anyways, the second time he's still there. Ryan, don't do that. But after the third and fourth time, the Holy Spirit is now just whispering. It used to be a loud voice and I would feel this heartache. And now the Holy Spirit's just whispering, hey, Ryan, probably shouldn't touch that. Every time I disobey, I'm making the voice of God quieter and quieter until he says, all right, have it your way. I won't, I won't warn you any longer. This is the story of Cain. He warns Cain, Cain, Sin desires to rule over you. I'm giving you a warning. If you step into this sin, you're gonna be ruled by sin. Sin will be your master. Don't do this. There's huge consequences to this one little sin. It's gonna rule over, instead of me being your master, sin is gonna rule over you. Warning, he's yelling to Cain right now. Eventually you see, as you keep reading Genesis, he let Cain have his way. He walked away. Cain was now ruled by sin. We get to Noah, everyone under Cain, the fruit and the seed of Cain is all debauchery, sin, horrible stuff. But I love this. The father's heart is there to warn you and to confront you. He confronted Cain. God wants to confront you of your sins. He's not just this passive, well, he's just sloppy grace. It'll all work out in the end. No, God is a God who's involved. He's here today to address sin because he loves us. So I'm gonna go quick. There's more I can say about this. Keep moving on. As I said, Cain kept having more kids 
And it says that the world was getting full of sin. Uh, all right, I have other things, but I'm going to skip all those. Um, so let's read. We're at six, right? That's where we're at now. Yes. Chapter six, let's start. Verse five. Chapter six, verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Talking about being given over to your depraved mind. This is what's going on. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. That's, to me, I have it underlined in my Bible. That is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. That God had this great idea. He created man in his image. And now it's saying that God was sorry that he ever thought to make mankind. Sin had greed, sin had brought so much separation, so much shame and blame and fame and all the ugliness of sin. He's like, ugh. But thank God that's not the end of the, verse, uh, the verses we're reading. Verse seven. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. But verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you, Noah. Skipping to verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and covered inside and outside with pitch. I'll stop there. The Lord is deeply grieved over sin. I know I said that Jesus' blood has already forgiven every sin that has already been committed and will day one be committed. But can I tell you that God, he's the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God who is present in time. He's outside time. He created time, but he steps inside time. Can I say it that way? I know it's kind of theology is weird. He's outside of time, but he steps into it. When you sin, it grieves his heart all over again. It's not like he's just aloof up in heaven and whatever goes on earth, ah, it's all taken care of. It doesn't really matter. That's sloppy grace. You need to know. I'll say it this way. The times in my life where I have repented, it was godly sorrow. It was the realization of how much pain I caused my father God. It wasn't that I got caught. It's like, ah, shoot. It was I felt the grief of my father. I felt his pain and feel, I'm telling you, I felt it in the spirit realm, but I felt it in my emotions. I so disappointed my dad. I couldn't believe it. I didn't ever want to touch the, the attractiveness of that sin, lost all its attractiveness when I felt the father's heart so grieved. We sang those songs this morning, how great the father's love for us. But I can tell you in times of my life where I sinned, and I grieved that father's heart. And he was crying. I could hear his heartbeat just aching and crying over my sin. That's what brought me to repentance. It was godly sorrow. It wasn't this child like, oh, sorry, dad. I'm a dad of four kids. I keep saying that often. I've heard that. Sorry, dad. Sorry, dad. Sorry. And they have to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I've heard that. And I've also seen my kids look in my eyes with tears. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Dad. There's a difference. 
And my prayer is that godly sorrow would lead us to repentance. It's not that you got caught. It's not that God is angry. His heart is so full of love and he's grieved. I love Psalm 51. In fact, I just shared that with one of my kids recently. Go read Psalm 51. It's where David pours out his heart after he got caught. He'd been living in sin for years, but he finally gets confronted and the weight of his sin crushes him. And he writes Psalm 51. And he says these things, against you and you alone have I sinned, God. He finally gets to the reality of things. But then he cries out, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, God, please don't separate yourself from me. I realize, I look at my life, and I haven't been under your favor. Ever since I committed that sin, I tried to hide it. I tried to keep going on with life. I didn't get to this part, but the idea of fame. Sometimes when I've been walking with God for so long, I try to excuse things. Well, it's not a big deal. Like, I'm not committing the big sins. That's a really small sin, so it doesn't really matter. That's what David did as the king. He says, well, I'm a king. Like, I get extra privileges. But it wasn't until David's heart was grieved that repentance took place. And I love that God provided. God's heart is, he provided. His heart was grieved, and he provided a way out. Noah, let's create an ark. Let's deal with sin, but let's have mercy. Isaiah 61 is one of my favorite chapters too. I got lots of favorites, I know. But I love it. it says in Isaiah 61 verse two, it says that we are to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I love that part. That's not the whole verse. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the next part and the day of vengeance of our God. The acceptable year or season or long-term acceptance of God, but the day or the approved time of his vengeance. That God is a just God. And he's saying, I want to accept you. That is my heart. That's, I'm aching to accept you. But no, there has to come a time that my vengeance and my wrath is poured out. Praise God, I can plead the blood of Jesus and come under and say, the wrath of God has been satisfied. All of his judgment has been poured out on the cross. I'm not under that judgment. But I have to come to that point and say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I don't want to be under shame anymore. I want to stop blaming others. I don't want to think I'm better than others. God, I come today. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time of your favor. I believe that I'm in an epoch season where it's just, I can be accepted for the rest of my life, but there has to be a day of vengeance. There has to be a day where the wrath of God is satisfied for my sins. I don't have time, but really quick, you don't have to even turn there. Genesis chapter 12 is the very beginning of Abraham's story, but it goes to Genesis chapter 50. It's the story of Abraham and his family for the rest of Genesis. All these different stories, then it takes on all about Abraham. Why? He, he calls out Abraham. I don't have time to deep into this, but you can read the first three verses. God says, Abram, get out of that country. Get out of your family that you're living with right now and come to a, plant, a land I will tell you and I'm gonna create a new family. God is saying, get out of your broken family. Get out of your connection to the sin of Adam and Eve and get into a new family. Abraham created a righteous family of God. He believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
God is saying today, I'm calling you out from your roots of being connected, connected to the sin of Adam and Eve all the way to you today. I'm calling you out of that pattern of sin into a new life, into a new family. This is for those that need to give their life to Christ for the very first time. This is for those that have been following Christ, like I said, for 40 years. But the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something. And he's saying, we've got to deal with this sin today. You cannot grow. You cannot mature. You cannot bear much fruit until deliverance comes first. Till sin is exposed. He will not heal what you will not reveal. He already sees it, but you have to be willing to reveal it. Is that making sense? So as the worship team comes on forward, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because I know we could get distracted by it. We saw the kids leaving. I, I was getting distracted. You were getting, let's not get distracted. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? You might be the only one in the room that needs to come down the middle aisle, come all the way down like a prodigal child and say, God, it was against you and you alone that I sinned. Maybe you have an area of your life that you just need to spend time with God before you leave this room. Maybe you need to confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. But I just have to give an opportunity again. As I said, two Sundays ago, we sang the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. All I can do is give an opportunity. All God can do is reveal his heart of love towards you. Do you want to walk out of shame? Do you want to walk out of that voice of blaming others, that pattern of fame? Do you want to be grieved with what grieves the heart of God? Do you want a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone? Are you willing to allow God to break up the fallow ground? Just begin to close your eyes and just, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Search my heart, oh God. I'm the pastor, but I open my heart to you, God. Whatever you want to see in my heart, God, I don't want to hide anything. I'm an open book. God, I've been following you for years, but today I want a new heart. I want a new spirit renewed within me. I want the joy of salvation. I don't want the enemy robbing me of my joy. I don't want to be under shame anymore. I want to be free. God, I need your healing. I need a touch. So I'm willing, I'm willing today to respond. I'm willing today to do whatever you ask of me. And if you just feel the Holy Spirit prompting you and you need to respond physically to what's going on spiritually, there's no judgment. We're all praying that there's no judgment. There's no fame going on here. You can be in leadership. It could be your first time here. If you need to respond, would you just come to the altar? Just come. You don't need a leader to pray with you. Just come. Just come to the altar. Come now. Just make a physical response to what's going on spiritually.